Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts, I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And we have such a good guest for you today, Peggy Orenstein. We had a really fascinating conversation with her. But before we get to that, Jen, I thought we'd check in. Hi, Kim. How are you today? <laughs> I'm okay. You know, it's in the 40s here today. The sun is out. When we're done taping, I'm going to go walk down to Atlantic Center and go to the Sephora and buy myself some beauty products. It feels like a good day. How are you? I'm good. You know, I mean, erratic. I really feel <laughs> like that. Um, I'm just like, it's just the intermittent, like, depression, rage, breast pain. I'm just <laughs> like, my sister is five years younger than I am. And, um, in her mid forties. And she texted me the other day. She was like, Hey, so about perimenopause. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, buckle up. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, I'm just kind of living with like that, just the erratic feeling of this time. Like yesterday I felt like really happy. And then I was really dark and depressed. And then by the time I was making dinner, I was just fucking so angry at everybody and everything. <laughs> and no one had done anything to me and nothing had changed. It was just all me, all my equilibrium. So, you know, fun times of being almost 50. Yeah, no, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. I was like, I, you know, I'm in a pretty good mood today, but like three hours ago, I was like on the sofa, slightly fetal, just like, oh, I don't like today. <laughs> I know. I know. And this is what we need to normalize is every, is it, is it, is it feeling crazy? Is it just being up and down and up and down and up? Like equilibrium is not going to happen for the most of us right now. No, no. And I think it is re resetting expectations for ourselves is very important. Yeah. And, and, uh, and for those around us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's true. It's really true. So yeah, no, I'm good. I'm really, I'm, I'm good. I am. I have a, I have one third of my book is, is almost just completely finished. Like, and that's that just true. Feels, yes. And that feels like a miracle. I just finished like 25,000 words of this book Amazing. over the weekend. And I was like, okay, this, I could almost send this to a person. And I had a very like honest conversation with my editor. And in one of the things about getting older is just being able to not have that panic that paralyzes you when it, with any kind of authority, at least for me, where mm -hmm. I was able to get the email saying, hey, when are you turning this in? And I was able to very like calmly say, this is when I am comfortable turning this in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you've written this book. This will have been much less than a year that you're taking to write this book. That's really quick. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I guess it's quick. It's how, 
it's how quick they want you to do it, I think. And, you know, I mean, obviously, not obviously, but I could push if I was in a financial position to not need this next part of my advance, I could probably be like, oh, six more months feels very right. stretchy and lovely. But, you know, <laughs> no, yeah. it's also, I just want it done. I want to, because when you're involved in a, a big project, you're kind of just stuck. You're in a, like I can't do anything else. I can't really commit to anything else. It's just there all the time, you know? I get it. So so anyway, but that was exciting for me. But everything else is good. I really loved Peggy. I thought she had so many smart things to say. And it was great to talk openly with someone about sex and desire and girls and boys and gender and all of that. I feel like we don't have these conversations enough. No, it did. It felt like it felt very expansive. Yes. Yes, which is fun to feel like when you're our age. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's get into it. Let's get into it. Our guest today is Peggy Orenstein. Peggy is a New York Times bestselling author, award-winning journalist, and internationally recognized speaker on gender issues, especially those related to teens, sex, and relationships. She is the author of seven books, including Cinderella Ate My Daughter, Girls and Sex, and her latest, Boys and Sex. She's also written for countless publications from the New York Times to the Atlantic to New York Magazine. Welcome, Peggy. Hi. Hi. Nice to be here. Peggy, you've been writing about girls, yes, but from talking about girls' confidence gap to girls' sexuality since the mid-90s, what mm-hmm. drew you to that work? To girls? Yeah. Uh, I was one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I did. I mean, it, it just, I kept, I kept thinking, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to do something else, but I kept being drawn back, drawn back, drawn back. And I think, I, I don't know, I, I do think there's like a core, I don't know if you feel this came from your sassy work, if it touched on that same thing, but there's like this sort of core thing in me of um, feeling like this connection to girlhood and this desire to sort of keep looking back at it and keep figuring it out and keep sorting through it um, for myself as well as for other girls. And then as it went on, I had, you know, I went through my own thing and then I had a daughter and that kind of pulled me back around again when I did Cinderella ate my daughter um, to, you know, rethinking it again from her perspective, from the perspective of a mother, and, and again, from my own perspective and what had changed. Yeah, your your TED Talk about girls and pleasure, it's been viewed 4 million times, which I was like, whoa, that's so oh, many. It's been viewed 5.6 million times. Oh, my God. Oh, my, oh God. my God. More than it? the Pope. Is that right? More than the Pope's More TED than talk? the Pope's talk. Yeah, I. it's crazy. Yeah. Why wow. do you think it had that kind of reaction? I mean, I have to say, when I was writing Girls and Sex, I certainly wasn't expecting that, you know. Um, I, I was just writing what I just kind of thought. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I bumbled into that. That would be wrong. But I because I'd always had this sort of idea in the back of my head. But um, but I just my sense going into it was just like, there's something going on here. Um, and why it touched such a nerve it seems like nobody was talking about it, but I, you know, I also really reflect back again on when we were young and especially Kim having gone to Oberlin as we both did. I don't know about you, but like our bodies ourselves was sort of like plunked down in front of me the second I got there. And mm-hmm. the, and I can always tell when I'm giving a talk um, around girls and sex, when somebody is around our age because somebody will, you know, a woman will inevitably come up to me after and do this exact same thing. They'll say, um, what about, and they'll do a fist pump in the air. What about I'm responsible for my own orgasm? What happened to that? Because that Mm -hmm. was kind of what we all learned. And there was a sort of political nature to, I mean, it was not just political, but for a certain demographic um, in our like college years, there was a sort of political aspect to female pleasure um, and a sort of, you know, um, idea that you were not only entitled, but needed to sort of um, that, that it was your political duty almost to be seeking pleasure. And that's somehow, and I can't tell you exactly how, though I have various theories went away and what increasingly replaced it over time was that like how you looked was more important than how you felt in your body. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for somebody, I think to say, you know what? That's not actually true. I still find, I still keep thinking, 
nobody's going to, you know, the, the, of course, it's so obvious. And I still get emails every day or Instagram DMs every day from young women going, oh my God, that changed my life. And I think, yeah. I'm sorry, that shouldn't have changed your life, but yay, I'm glad it did. Because we, we should probably backtrack a little and and talk about how what you, what that TED Talk is about and what a lot of your work has been about is having girls own their own pleasure. Yeah. And their right to pleasure. Yeah. Or the existence of it or that, you know, um, they are not there to, I mean, they, they have a very strong idea that male, male orgasm basically is the defining factor of a successful sexual encounter. Um, yeah. Or the conclusion of it, right? Like that's, yeah, yeah, that's that's what we're all, that's what we're going toward. Right. right. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was very inspiring. I think it was in your Ted talk when you were talking about, um, girls you spoke to who were gay and how one of them said that her definition of not being a virgin was that she had an orgasm. Yeah, it was crazy. It was, she was, um, I mean, it was it, talking to gay girls or, or, or girls who had sex with other girls or with the people who had the same parts as they do um, was really interesting in general because, I mean, just in terms of research, um, the orgasm gap disappears among um, women who have sex with women and they have orgasms at the same rate as heterosexual men in um in their encounters so that sort of you know thing that you see with heterosexuals it's gone um and some of that is the acts they prioritize and some of that is that women's orientation tends to be not universally but tends to be more partner driven like they're they're very conscious of their partner's pleasure that that women are more likely than men to measure their satisfaction by their partner by their partner satisfaction, like yeah. if he had a good time, I had a good time, and um, and men by their own orgasm. And so when women get together with other women, they're both kind of wanting the other person to, you know, have a great time. Um, so I think that helps too. Uh, but whatever it is, it was a real, it was a really interesting thing to note. And then when I was talking to that particular young woman, I said, "How did you know you weren't a virgin anymore?" And she, you know, she sort of said, "Yeah, you know, I actually had to Google that." Um, at that time, Google didn't know. I don't know if Google has changed its mind on this, but uh, she said Google didn't know. And so she thought about it and she said, you know, was it when somebody touched me before the wa- below the waist for the first time when they put a finger, you know, she's like kind of went through these things in her head. And she said, you know, what I finally decided was it was the first time I had an orgasm with a partner. And I just was like, what if that was the definition? What wow. if that was the definition? How that would change our whole orientation towards our sexual encounters and free us up. Wow. Yeah. And we're still pretty darn far away from that. Yeah. 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 Um, we're still far away from even, you know, understanding what women desire, what, you know, it, it, even porn. I mean, most of the porn, most porn companies are owned by men. The most, you know, we're, we're filtering this information, I, I think, right? That's very, this sexual information that's very male oriented still. Right. And well, I mean, porn, that's a whole other discussion and and what kids are accessing and what they see versus, I mean, yes, there's queer porn, there's feminist porn, there's all this kind of stuff, but all that's behind a paywall. You know, if you just go to your basic porn hub, which is where they go, um, the lessons that they're getting are just terrible um, about, about women and and female pleasure and, you know, whose pleasure is important and all of that. And what their bodies look like. And what their bodies look like. Boys do. I mean, they're very, like a lot of boys were really, I, I did when I did boys and sex, it was a, like a huge topic of discussion. And a huge thing that they had questions about was pornography because who are they going to talk about it with? And that landscape has changed so much. Um, so it was me. Um, but uh, I was going to say that um, mainstream, I think a lot about mainstream media though, too. I mean, we, we get very concerned about porn and rightly so, but I was thinking about even like, I don't know, a, this was a couple of years ago, my daughter and I were watching the Gilmore girls you know, and mm-hmm. uh, when Rory finally loses her virginity, which is like this big, you know, episode, this big deal, um, she not to not to you know spoil it if you haven't watched it, but <laughs> basically she and Dean, it's Dean, it's Dean that she loses her virginity. Um, they kiss and then they wake up the next day, right? So there's this sort of thing that gets reinforced all the time in mainstream media that kissing is inter- leads to intercourse all the time. Yeah. And that that's the next step. And, you know, like they kiss and boom. I mean, they have to do it that way, obviously, because it's not pornography. But um, 
it's a, it's another lesson that keeps getting reinforced that we sort of don't look at at how how this is working in mainstream. I mean, I think there's a big discussion to be had around that too. Right. Everything hmm. that's on the menu, I don't think yeah. I don't think girls understand what's on the menu for them even now, even you know, yeah. fifty years after the sexual they, revolution. It's just I don't, yeah. I don't think they know there's a menu. No. Yeah. And and here and the th- but the thing is is like so where where were we the generation older, whether we're mothers or aunties or whatever we are, how did we not how did that break down? You know, how did I mean I feel like if the our bodies ourselves generation communicated that to me, because certainly we're younger than that generation, really. Um, what broke down that it didn't get passed on to younger women so that they're in this situation where nobody has, where, where they're so clueless? You know? Do you think that app dating, dating on the apps is one of the reasons why that um, I don't think it helps, but I think it was predating that, you know, because when I did yeah. sex, it was before app dating, really, or it was just coming on. I mean, the book came out in 2016. So I don't know. You do the math. Right. And also they were too young. Yeah. How should we be taught? I mean, I'm sure you've done a lot of research about this. How should we, how early should we be talking to kids about sex? How do we create sex positive environments for our children? Yeah. I mean, early and often is really the answer. And and I think that, that we, I mean, I think about like, this is actually late in the game, but I think about, um, I have a, a, a niece and when she was a junior in high school, she was really serious with her boyfriend. Um, and my sister-in-law said, you know, I think they're thinking about having sex. And I wondered if this was before, way before I wrote Girls and Sex. Um, so it was really just my auntness that put me in this role. She said, would you be willing to talk to her about it? And um, I took her out to lunch and I remember I just wanted to drop through the floor. You know, I just like <laughs> really wanted to drop through the floor. And I was like, oh God. So, you know, I know you've been going out for a long time and I just wonder if you've like, have you had an orgasm with him? You know, have you explored these other things? What is the reason that you want to have intercourse? What is it that you want to get from it? You know, what, what kind of, you know, I was like asking her all these questions, which she wasn't, I said, I was like, you don't have to answer these. These are just questions you should be asking yourself about what's going on in your sexual encounters. And yeah, I mean, she, and she just sat there with her eyes like the, you know, like wide open (laughs) staring at me the whole time. But I think she absorbed it. And I'm, I mean, I will say later she came out. So, you know, that was a little <laughs> bit, um, but at the time that was what was, what was going on. And, and I felt like it was a really important role in terms of, you know, our own kids. Um, I really think, you know, birth, it starts with naming their body parts. You know, if you wouldn't call your elbow, your woo woo, um, don't call your vulva, your woo woo, you know, and saying things like when, when kids are little, you know, it, it, it feels really good to touch your vulva. It feels really good to touch your penis, but we don't do it at grandma's Thanksgiving table. We do it in our mm-hmm. rooms, you know, um, cause toddlers masturbate all the time. Um, and sort of understanding friendship, understanding, you know, you don't hug somebody if they don't want to be hugged, if they say, don't hug me, or you ask before you hug somebody or, or in your own case, if like, you know, great aunt Nancy wants to hug your kid, your four-year-old and your four-year-old doesn't want to hug great aunt Nancy. Well, they don't have to suck it up. Great aunt Nancy, you know, Um, all these things that we, that are not directly related to sex, but well, I guess masturbation is, but you know, but are about um, creating a context and a scaffolding to make those discussions not feel taboo and to, I mean, they can still be awkward. Um, and, and for me, the other thing was I read a lot about how the Dutch do it. Um, mm. and they have such like, there's all this research on their outcomes in terms of not only pregnancy disease and that sort of thing, but also, um, enjoying yourself, uh, knowing your partner well, um, being prepared, uh, being sober, all this stuff. They always score like at the top of the heap and we're way down there. Um, and so looking at what they do, which is, which is to talk, they, and, and they also talk, the other thing, the mistake that I think that we make and that I would have made, um, is that American parents tend to frame discussions about sex entirely in terms of risk and danger. And uh, yeah. the Dutch frame it in terms of re- responsibility and joy. And I think that's mm. a really important shift. Yeah. I mean, we still have people advocating for abstinence education. yes we do and now more than ever it's coming back strong with all this all the bills and you know backlash against talking about race in schools talking about gender in schools talking about sexuality in schools 
What inclined you to write a book about boys? Was it just like you'd done the one about girls and it led to it? <laughs> kind of oops. <laughs> <laughs> oops, only had one side of the conversation. I mean, everybody, parents, teachers, kids, everybody was like, what about the boys? What about the boys? And honestly, uh, I didn't, I wasn't that enthused. Like at first I just said, uh-uh, it's not my, not my world. I don't have a son. I'm not a boy. I never read about, wrote about boys. Um, and I also, you know, like they don't, boys don't have much of a reputation for um, talking. So I thought mm -hmm. I might have like a whole, you know, transcripts that were just like, yup, nope. You know, I, I really worried yeah. that this wouldn't speak. I mean, I look like their mom, you know, um, but it actually I think turned out to be an advantage to be a woman uh, because, awesome. well, it became really clear to me that boys when they talk from the heart, when they confide, it's to a woman. And mm -hmm. there's pros and cons to that in terms of like real life. Like I think, you know, they learn to talk to, if, for, if you're a mom, that's like, it feels really good. I'm sure when your son, you know, talks to you and you should see that sweetheart of his, but it also, I think they learn pretty strongly that um, women are responsible for the emotional labor for men's emotional labor. In, in that um, dynamic. So I think it's also really important for moms to really think about that and how to help your son learn to process emotion and find other guys to process emotion with stuff like that. But, but for me, it meant that they were willing to go someplace um, in their hearts and heads and want, you know, something was like, finally somebody would talk to them. Finally, there was a safe space for them to talk to somebody. And they, a lot of them really did open up in ways that surprised me. So um, it ended up being a really wonderful experience, but it wasn't one that I um, initially imagined I would ever seek out. Were there any big surprises as you researched that book? Well, it really was how much they wanted to talk. I mean, that right. was the biggest surprise of all. I just really didn't. I mean, I kind of went into it and said, I'll give it a try and we'll see how it goes. Um, and their sort of um, pain and their confusion um and um their most of them not all of them but most of their desire to be better men um was really uh touching and i think it would have been easy and I, and, and the challenge of that book was to not go in um in an adversarial way kind of but to yeah. really go in and try to hear and, and listen to and write about boys from their own perspectives. And I will say that there were times when I felt they weren't reliable narrators and that if that I felt there was almost an invisible girl talking over their shoulder going, uh, uh, uh. And once, and this never happened with the girl book, once a girl actually got in touch with me and said, uh -huh. like months later and said, I heard you interviewed this boy for your book. And I think you, I need to talk to you and tell you, um, the truth about him. And wow. It was a much more comp, you know, she, he had told me this story and she said, I, you know, you need to know the other side of this story. And I didn't end up putting the story in the book because it was just, it was too messy, but um, there were times when, or, or there was a boy that I did write about who wanted to talk to me in part, because people always want to talk for a reason, right? Um, he was worried that he had sexually assaulted a girl and he wasn't sure. And the girl, it was at camp. She lives in a different state. He's never spoken to her again. Uh, and my feeling was he might've, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, oh, God. It's, it's not clear from his, his telling whether he did or not, or not. So I couldn't say you didn't. And I couldn't say you did. It was, you might've. And I'm sure if I was talking to her, I would have known, you know? <laughs> right. 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 The wow. lines for them are blurry. Blurry or, un yeah, yeah. Unclear or he didn't, you know, he was, he, it, it was eating at him. He wasn't like, you know, like, oh, it's no big deal or, or, right. oh, well, or that wasn't, you know, he was like, he said, you know, I, 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 I know what I should do is call her up. I know I should call her up and talk to her about it, but I probably never will, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You, I've, I've seen you say that you hate the term toxic masculinity and you yeah. prefer precarious masculinity. Can you talk about that? Mm -hmm. Precarious or fragile, either way. Yeah. Well, in the sense of, I think toxic masculinity was a really good um, diagnostic tool 
for a real thing. It's not that I'm denying it. But when you're talking to boys and trying to um, raise them or educate them or in some way support them towards being um, more egalitarian, uh, open-hearted people, uh, it can make them feel um, defensive uh, in a way that's not that productive. Whereas if you talk about precarious or fragile masculinity, it doesn't have quite the same sting, but it has the same meaning. Yeah. Are there, do you think there are outdated standards that young men are holding themselves to in terms yeah. of masculinity? Okay. Yeah. I imagine I, there are. It was, it was really, because, you know, obviously I mean, so I should just specify too that the demographics that I work that I was working with are because this was the same group that I worked the same um, demographics as the girls they were college bound or in college um, guys so between like uh, fifteen or sixteen and around twenty two um, and they were from all over the country they were different um, ethnicities they were different religions they were different they you know some identified as trans some were you know they were gay straight all the things. Um, uh, so, but when I would, and, 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 you know, they had changed a, a lot. They, they, they saw girls as equal in the classroom and on the playing field and, um, you know, they respected female leaders and all this kind of stuff. But when I would ask them, what was the ideal guy? It was like, they ch- were channeling 1955, you know, hmm. they immediately went to, you know, athletic, um, uh, aggressive, um, uh, somebody who, you know, has hooked up with a lot of people, all, all the things that we think of as being that sort of, you know, those markers of, of toxic masculinity, even though it wasn't necessarily what they were or wanted for themselves, but they definitely felt the pressure towards that. Let's take a quick break for some ads. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25 
5% off. And we're back. How about girls? What kind of standards are girls holding themselves to that are not, that are no longer useful? Where do you think that's happening? Well, I think they're still, uh, you know, they're still defined by body and beauty. And they still, that is still such a, and, and I think more so than ever in the social media age, despite the, you know, whatever the body positive Instagrams or whatever it is. Um, and in some ways, I think those can even put more pressure on because then you have to feel positively. What if you don't feel positively about, you know, like I, I heard uh, um, Jamila Jamal talking about how she was um, promoting body neutrality. And I thought, that's what I want. <laughs> I want to feel absolutely nothing about this. It's just there. You know, um, so I think that's still, you know, very powerful. And also that idea that um, we were talking about before that, that sexuality is sort of, um, if you're heterosexual, that sexuality is kind of bracketed by um, male experience or defined by male experience much more. There was a line um, a woman said to you. In Girls and Sex, she said she was hoping to find a balance between, quote, being being just slutty enough where you're not a prude, but you're not a whore. Right. And I found this notion so depressing. Like, how do we how do we go about changing how narrowly women define themselves? Right. Yeah. And the other thing um, with that was a girl who said usually the opposite of a negative is a positive. But with girls and sex, the it's two negatives, slut or prude. Hmm. Right. Right. So where do you find this this place where you can stand and be who you are? And I think, you know, we change it. How do we change it? We change it by talking about it. We change it by talking about our experience, our own experience, by talking to young women and um, being open around this, by talking to our, our girls, um, by talking to our boys. I mean, that's the other reason I wrote Boys and Sex is that I also felt like I'd kind of gone as far as I could in writing and talking about girls and girls' issues. I'd pretty much covered the waterfront. Um, and uh, I think that girls are really working and women are really working very hard to to make change and to support one another and support girls and all of that, um, or, you know, at least a group of us are. And we need to also um, apply that to boys. And and people say, well, you know, girls have feminism. What You know, what do boys have? I think boys have feminism, too. That's yeah. what they've got. You know, that's what's going to save them, um, in my mind. Um, so. Right. So yeah, both of those things. We got to change. We got to talk to the girls, but we also have to reach. We can't be ignoring boys. And I think a lot of moms, particularly dads too, but moms particularly, don't want to ignore the boys. They want to bring the boys along. They're raising boys. You know, we right. can't leave them out. Yeah. I'm circling back to porn for a minute because you know, <laughs> as we always do. <laughs> That's just. It's yeah. just, it's everywhere. It can be so damaging. It's so accessible. How do we deal? I have an 11 year old. I, how do we talk to kids uh, about porn? I know, right? <laughs> it's so hard. I know. It's really terrible because it's, it's so, it's so different and ubiquitous. And, you know, there, I was looking at this research that was showing that um, it was, it was uh, surveys of boys and their own dads and girls and their own moms. So like, your 11 year old and your 11 year old's dad. And, and that's another thing we can get back to is, is the difference in meaning, but not in dynamic in gender queer porn. Um, yes. But um, they found that the kids, it was teenagers of 14 to 17 year olds, and they watched exponentially more pornography than their same gender parent, but they also watched exponentially more aggressive pornography. So the wow. boys were three times more likely to have seen like, you know, facial abuse or gangbangs or all this kind of stuff. And the boys were, the girls were five times more likely than their own moms. So I also feel there's a gap. Not only does that, is that indica indicative of what they're watching, but that the parents aren't really imagining what, I think it's really hard to imagine your lovely 11 year old, you know, yeah. and they're probably not, they're too young, but yeah. somebody might turn their, an older child might think it's funny to turn their phone around or they might, you know, Google boobs, you know, and, you know, all sorts of stuff comes at them or, or something they're trying to find information out and all sorts of stuff comes at them. That's what tends to happen with younger kids. Um, and it doesn't become something they seek out more until like puberty. Um, right. But I think, you know, you got to start, you got to say things like, you know, 
I mean, there's a great organization, a great website called amaze.org for kids that age. There's a real dearth of stuff for, for like 11 to 13, 11 to 14, because there's puberty. There's like, you get your period, you have your wet dream, but there's not this other conversation that doesn't start right. happening until later. Um, but amaze.org has these wonderful animated videos on all aspects of sexuality and gender and includes all the non-binary and the trans stuff. And it also includes, um, uh, videos, animated videos uh, that are age appropriate. So they're good for parents to watch too, because it tells you kind of where they're at and how to talk about it um, on pornography. Um, sorry, there's Ginger shaking her collar. Um, That's okay. That's <laughs> okay. And uh, she does that to, to talk. She's just agreeing. Um, <laughs> so, you know, at that age, you're saying things like, um, yeah, um, you might see some things on the, on the internet or somebody might send you something or show you something that is around um, sex or around nudity or whatever that that is upsetting or that is you don't understand. And it's really important that you tell me and we talk about it. It's, you know, there's nothing bad about seeing that stuff. You know, there's nothing you don't want to stigmatize the seeing of it. Right. But to talk about and and to always be sure, you know, as it's really easy as kids get older, you walk into your kid's room and, you know, they're watching porn and they suddenly turn their phone over to freak out. And you have to like go back and take a breath and, and make sure that you're there's nothing wrong with sex, you know, and um, but some of the stuff that you're seeing, the kind of dynamics around it. And as I, I mean, there's a ton of on my website and we won't, you could do a whole class on porn right now, but I won't. The, the, on my website, there's a bunch of resources mm -hmm. um, for like all these conversations, whatever the conversation yeah. is, you're trying to have it again. And uh, there's a bunch on, on porn at different ages and how to talk about it. Oh, that's but, amazing. I mean, when we were yeah. when we were little, there was just Playboy and Penthouse, yeah. Hustler, all those magazines. Jugs. It was such jugs. <laughs> I mean, as dirty as some of those magazines were, they were still insanely, insanely innocent compared to what kids have access to yeah. now. And if, if I was a parent, I would find that like I think I would get really um I think I would be very freaked out about that. It is freaky. And I mean it's not like if you have a boy and he sees this stuff, it's going to turn him into a, into a, an aggressive person. But it is true that for boys who have already a tendency towards aggression, um, mm -hmm. it legitimizes it. And that is a problem. Sure. Um, and what, yeah. what about also, um, you mentioned that labiaplasties, did I say this already? Yeah. Labiaplasties yeah. are the, top plastic surgery yeah they were teenage girls, girls. And sex i haven't looked at it lately but yeah i know that's and that's a whole thing right so why because they're looking at porn yeah porn, they're looking at vulvas and i always for that one i'm always like there's a um actually there's more than this one now but there's uh i think it's called um wall the great wall of vagina or something like that that's also on my website but um it's an art installation where somebody has taken plaster casts of 400 different vulvas and put them up and you know just to like show girls or anybody any child uh not tiny child obviously but you know the, a puberty age child um that to normalize how that they're as unique as fingerprints and just like you wouldn't have your fingerprint you know surgically altered unless you were going into witness protection or something right um, <laughs> uh you shouldn't do it to your lady and, then it, and the thing about that is that it it the um it reduces, it, it can destroy your ability to, to feel pleasure. Yeah. And so, you know, here we are, I'm sure, you know, in over the course of your life that you've, you've discussed clitoridectomy or, or, or done work around that, or, you know, um, been appalled by it in other cultures. But what I kind of felt like was that we do, uh, sorry. Um, That's okay. What I felt like was that usually she's just asleep on the ground. She's picked That's this okay. one. Need to scratch a bunch. Um, <laughs> what I felt like was uh, we um, have, we're doing like the, the equivalent of, of, of a psychological clitoridectomy on young women that we, you know, we start, we, we, we don't uh, name the, you know, we, it, 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 during sex ed, maybe they learn, um, I mean, for, well, first of all, even at birth, parents are much less likely to um, y give a word to their daughter's genitals. You know, with boys, they'll say like, here's your pee pee or something like that. Right. But parents are much less likely to, they just kind of go from navel to knees. And then mm -hmm. um, they go into puberty education and they learn that boys have 
wet dreams and ejaculations and erections and girls have periods and unwanted pregnancy, you know, not the same. Right. Right. See that internal diagram, right. The Georgia O'Keeffe painting thing that, you know, that was mm-hmm. and it grays out between the legs. And so we never say vulva. We never say clitoris. Mm-hmm. Uh, fewer than half of girls, 14 to 17 years old have ever masturbated even once. Um, which when I told that to my editor, my editor, I'm taking telling tales out of school, but I told that to my editor, she kept going, are you sure that statistic is, you never do double check. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, honey, it's, it's a valid stat. It's real. Um, Those of us who did do it when we were that age, did it enough to make up for the ones. Exactly. Who, I would like, imagine. Huh, you just can't believe it. It's like, I'm telling you, I know I had to look at it a bunch of times. I thought, how could that be true? But it is. And then they go into their partnered encounters, right? And and we somehow think that they are going to think that those, and how are you going to think it's about you? How are you going to think your pleasure matters? How are you, I mean, I remember, and even like, I, I remember talking to a girl and saying, uh, ask, I started asking, have you ever masturbated? And um, one girl said, no, I don't, I've got a boyfriend to do that. And like, oh, this, God. Is, like this girl is 16, right? Oh, and this is the same guy who's like no. around inside of her, like he's looking for his car keys, you know, nothing's happening <laughs> there, honey. Um, but boys would, uh, by contrast, girls would tell me that boys would say they didn't want them to give them a hand job because they could do that themselves. They wanted the blowjob. So it was a really, you know, notable difference in, in yeah. the way that they were pursuing that at that early stage. You know, there's, there's, so there's a lot of negatives about, you know, about what they're seeing and what they're doing, the kids these days, you know, their porn and everything. But at the same time, I see, you know, big shifts happening, you know, kids, Mm -hmm. my child's age, talking about their gender identity, talking about their sexual identity. There seem to be so many more things on the table. Like I was saying, you know, more kids are like, maybe I'm pansexual, pretty young, you know? And how is your work changing since things are changing, right? We're thinking yeah. of sex and gender in really different ways that are outside of the binary, that are outside of what we've known, even in terms of like you're gay or you're straight, you know, right. it's, it's, it feels like there's a wide open world. How are you thinking about that? Being a person who studied things in such a um, gendered way, right? Yeah, I know. Even my books, I accidentally got locked into pink and blue on them. Um, I, um, I, I would love to, if I could, you know, redo girls and sex, because that whole conversation was just starting at Caitlyn Jenner came out, you know, which was such a big deal at the time. It was like, I think 2015, it was after the book was in press. And, and so that was when that conversation really started shifting. And I did not have, I had one girl when I was doing girls and sex want to talk to me because she was asexual and I was kind of confused I was just felt like yeah I don't get it like I'm that's like I'm writing a book about meat and you come talk to me because you're a vegetarian like what um and I you know I look back on that moment and think that I missed that I I, I missed what was going on there um and I was with the boy book I did talk more to not non-binary kids so much but to trans kids which was really interesting and one of the things that was super interesting there was shifting the conversation from, you know, like when did you know you were trans and how did you build that identity and how did you come out and what happened and blah, 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 which is an important story. Um, And I had this big argument with, with the person, with the boy who's sort of the main character there about whether or not I should tell that story at all. Cause he was like, maybe I don't want you to tell that story. Maybe I just want to be this and not have to tell that story every time. And, I sort of said, well, I think my readers probably aren't there yet. And I think we need to have this conversation, but um, for parents and such, but, but I wanted to shift the conversation to, well, what about your sexuality and sex life? Like, how do you receive pleasure and satisfaction when the parts of your body that are, are for that are the parts that make you feel dysphoric? Right. Mm -hmm. What do you do with that? Um, and so that became a whole other conversation and one that I think, um, as we think about and talk about kids, um, recognizing identities younger, uh, we can integrate because I think one of the things that has happened with, with just, you know, 
what we now what I now think of as vanilla gay identity <laughs> um, <laughs> is uh, that we now accept that pretty broadly in our culture on a social level, but we aren't. I mean, as hard as it is for particularly straight parents to talk to kids about straight kids about sexuality, what do you do with your gay kid? You know, and so those conversations. So there's there's a sort of um, social queerness, but we're not having the we're not integrating ideas as well um, or normalizing ideas as well in sex education or in our conversations with our kids about the sexual piece. And that continues to be kind of stigmatized and pushed off. And what was happening um, with the boys in particular around that was that like a significant number told me that when they were under, this is where the apps come in, Kim, that when they were under age, they were going on grinder. Um, and having encounters with um, much older men, uh, oh. strangers, and not telling anybody they were doing oh, it. Oh, yeah. But you know what I will say, and this maybe will delete this because maybe, it, but I have I know more than one, and this is again I'm talking about my generation. I'm 57 years old. I know more than one gay man who's around my age who lost his virginity to an older man. Absolutely. That's and, absolutely and who was a caring older man who mm -hmm. kind of showed him, you know, gave him in whatever small town these guys were in, right. how they were going to live. And this is the version of that. And while it is normalized, um, I think I what I would wish for those boys is that they could have the same kind of experience a positive not that all straight kids have positive experiences but that they they had the possibility of having a loving caring connected fun um relationship with somebody their own age uh because there is so much room for exploitation and abuse there and sure yeah i've had that conversation with dan savage too where we've sort of knocked around you know is it different for gay boys and you know it i think it very much depends and, yeah. um, and I also talked to a lot of, I've talked to a lot of adult gay men since then who feel really damaged by that culture of, um, ushering boys into their sexuality through adult men. So yeah. I, I, I think it is normalized and, you know, back to that question about queer porn, it's also no, those power dynamics are often present in queer porn. And even though it's the only place for uh, a lot of young people to see their sexuality validated or, or experienced, um, it can also reinforce a lot of questionable dynamics and messages in the process. Yeah. I want to talk about getting older and how have your feelings about sex and sexuality changed as you're getting <laughs> older? Um, <laughs> there's Ginger. Um, well, I've been thinking a lot about whether I want my next book to be about that. So hmm. I'd be I'm actually curious to know what you guys think. If you think, <laughs> if that's what you know, I, I've been thinking, or your or your audience, um, yeah, I've been thinking about whether I want my next book to be on midlife women and sexuality. And I think I, I would yes, like to please. vote for yes. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> maybe y'all can help me find new subjects. Um, yeah, if I'm doing that, I'm. I'm. Uh, I mean, that's that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I, I, that was kind of the direction I was heading when COVID hit. And then I got sort of grounded and, um, frankly depressed and, uh, didn't want to do anything for a long time. And then, um, I sort of took a little bit of a left turn and I'm writing a book about, um, going from sheep to sweater as a knitter. I learned how to shear sheep and spin and dye wool over the pandemic. <laughs> I was going to Ask you about I love this, this. I had heard the word on the street was that you're a very serious knitter, and yeah. I know I've seen on your Instagram that you dye your own yarn. Yeah, I do know. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm an okay knitter. Like my mom was a really serious knitter. I'm an okay knitter. I can. I'm a good knitter, but I'm not a great knitter. Um, but I. But I love it. And uh, and I just. I don't know. It's like a fan. I'm actually trying to write an introduction right now where I'm trying to explain why I wanted to do this, and I'm having such a hard time because I don't know. I just did. I've always wanted to. I've wanted to do it for years. I have had an obsession with the idea of learning to shear sheep. I don't know why. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, learned, I went out and sheared a bunch of sheep. I Where? can't advise it. Um, Sonoma. Sonoma County, there's sheep. And I, and I found somebody who would teach me. Um, and uh, 
and we found some sheep that she works with that needed some shearing. And, you know, it turns out that, uh, a 150 pound animal with hooves that doesn't really want to be there. It's not that easy to do. <laughs> like clippers that are, you know, have no safety on them or anything. And they're super sharp and they're whirring really fast and, and you're trying to hold it in place and it's trying to get away. And Oh my God, it was, it was, it was kind of a harrowing experience. That's oh, incredible funny. because that would totally be like some midlife, like dream movie, you know, where you're like right. magically shearing the sheep while like you're also sleeping with the farm boy, you know, right. it's like, <laughs> like Diane, Keaton. <laughs> Diane Keaton do that in some movie that I never saw. Yeah, exactly. Diane Lane, you know, one of yeah. them just, <laughs> I know, I know. But- I want to ask you, I want to ask you about your marriage because you were married to an Oscar winning documentary filmmaker. I am. Um, How do you work a partnership of creatives? What does that Mm. look like? Um, What does that look like? Uh, Well, I mean, it's shifted a lot. It's been different at different times over the years. You know, when we had a child um, earlier in our relationship when we didn't. And, you know, a lot of it is, is, just the same old logistics that everybody faces in childbearing, which is, you know, somebody's got to be, we can't both be traveling at the same time or that kind of thing. But I think, I think, and I think that the main thing that allowed that to work was really Stephen's um, support and respect and belief in what I do and um, his willingness to be a full partner uh, as a parent um, and really kind of, um, the more domestically oriented person of us. So we're Mm -hmm. kind of like a little bit of a role reversal um, in that regard. And I think that that, and a long time ago when I wrote um, Flux, my second book, I thought a lot about that because it seemed that the more um, things tipped the other direction for people, the more the woman's um, career, whatever it was, seemed to be protected because women will, get in there and parent and cook and do whatever, regardless um, of, of whether they're the primary breadwinners or not. Uh, and, and men only do it if they're not. Um, so I think that sort of slight role reversal helped. But in terms of the creativity, I've, I feel like Stephen has made my work much more um, um, visual uh, you know, I, I, I remember I was just talking about this with somebody the other day that when I was writing my first book and nobody, you know, tells you how to write a book, you just have to figure it out and right. I would lie on the floor and cry and, you know, <laughs> not be able to do it. And I wrote the first chapter something like 15 times and I was getting nowhere. Um, and he just, it was such a simple thing. He just said, well, why don't you think about it like a film, like long shot, medium shot, tight shot, and see if you can get into it that way. Hmm. Um, and I did. And, and that like got me into it. He has no memory of having said that. Um, <laughs> and I will critique, I critique his work more than he critiques mine. He's a, he's a heart. He's, he's harsh. Um, so I sometimes <laughs> don't want to show him stuff, but um, when I critique his work, he tends to fight back on it. And I have learned to just sort of say, okay. I'm just telling you how I feel. You can't change my perception of it. If you want to do anything about that, you can, but you don't have to. I'm just telling you, this is what I think, why I think this doesn't work or does work or whatever. Um, so, you know, like that. Um, and now the new thing is he's older than I am. He's, he's, I got to learn how to say that he is retired um, or, hmm. or mostly, you know, wow. quite re- or well on the way anyway. Um and that has been, um, as people who, so much of our bond was around our creative work, um, it's a weird transition to not have that. So I'm sure. thinking kind of more about that now. It's like, what what does it mean to um, have that work maybe still be there? I mean, he's still, you know, he's painting or he's writing a play or he's doing this or that, but it's but he's not doing... Um, work that necessarily is being commissioned out in the world anymore. And I don't know that he will, he might, but he might not. It's Um, like one player, one player left the game. Yeah. It's yeah. That's, that's what my husband is also a writer and it's, I can't, 
that that really just struck me. I can't imagine when he leaves, I'm going to be like, whoa, whoa, I'm here alone. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I'm like, why do I still have to work? But also, oh, yeah. it's, um, it's more like, um, yeah, what um, what are you talking about at the end of the day? Or what are you, there's a lot of juice and zing that came from that creative partnership. Um, and when that is changes, how do you adjust to that? And what do you, you know, what goes in its place and how do you navigate that shift? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, we, it's a we, crazy thing. We talk a lot about um, how, what happens to ambition as you age. Mm -hmm. Do you think your ambition has changed? Yeah. Your level of ambition? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's become more diffuse um, in the sense for me uh, in that I have, hit a lot of the marks that I wanted to hit. I've achieved a lot of what I wanted to achieve in the external world. Um, and so it makes me turn more inward, I guess now, um, and think more about what I really want as opposed to needing to be as, as a, in terms of validation. Like I, I feel like I, I have had, I have the voice I want, or I've had, the, I mean, COVID kind of messed me up with it because I was just sort of like, I felt like I was on a, on a, um, kind of about, you know, going up the hill on the roller coaster, um, right at that moment, uh, with boys and sex and it just, and all of a sudden the roller coaster just went backwards. Um, so that mm. was kind of a bummer. Um, but I've, I feel like I've been able to, um, have an impact and I really am, have enjoyed that and enjoy that. And I also feel like I want to be able to write, um, or think about, or, or do other, you know, what else, what other creative things might I pursue, that maybe I wouldn't be at the top of the heap on, but would be sustaining or interesting. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just thinking it's, it's not that I'm not ambitious, but I guess um, I don't feel the same sense of needing to needing every book to be like, you know, a bestseller. I mean, there may be other ways that they're really satisfying to me. Yeah. I'm not yeah, sure knit book you know like will that be a bit maybe i don't know but it's not exactly I really, the same audience right. i really want you to write this women in midlife sex book please okay. yeah please do please, that because here's the thing i feel like i know what i hear my voice i know mm -hmm. what i'm thinking about it i maybe have one or two close female friends close enough to talk about sex with you know which i feel like we do less of as we get older I want to hear like a variety of voices. I want to know like where I am in the wave, you know, and I feel like it's just impossible to know. But there's also, there's also, yeah, there's so many cliches and limitations around older women and sexuality. Just this, these myths that we just dry up and we're just like the old crone and we don't want it anymore. And I don't think we talk about desire post a certain age, female desire post a certain age, which I am very interested in, in talking about, in hearing about, in reading about. So oh. well, that's very heartening. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, it's interesting too, because I feel like when I do talk about this with friends that I'm more likely to talk about it with my, or, or more, they're more likely to talk to me, uh, my friends who are single. Hmm. I feel like people in, in longer marriages are less likely to talk about it. I think that is absolutely true. And it really makes people uncomfortable. If you start, yeah. <laughs> if you, they just won't. It's like this, this locked up thing. It's, well, it's also like why people are so afraid of talking about divorce openly. It's like, it's like our marriages are so fragile and we can't talk about the sex or the, the, or the lack of it or where it is right now. It's like, we're just afraid to open those things up and maybe examine them. I think, I don't know. Yeah. Or, I mean, you feel like if you then have dinner with, <laughs> with right. your friend that you talked about and your husband's and like, she's looking at your husband and going, huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's true too. That's true too. Yeah. So it is, there is a way that the veil drops um, to a degree and it becomes more protective, but I, I have had some preliminary interviews with people and they have been super interesting. And I'm so interested in how people, um, how women negotiate, how, what happens to that early trauma for those who've, you know, faced that, although I guess now trauma is an overused word, but you know, if you were assaulted as a young woman or um, had these experiences that were uh, difficult and painful, um, can you put those in the rear view mirror and what do you, how do you reflect on them now? Or 
you know, I think there's also the whole level of things that we didn't reflect on that we just kind of were like, well, that sucked and kept moving and didn't call, didn't name it. Um, right. Do they, right. do those affect us? You know, I don't know. I don't know either. So, yeah. Now I'm talking myself back into being excited about it again. That's good. You guys are good. Yay. Yay. <laughs> All right. Wait, before we go, wait, where can people find you, Peggy? It's important that they find you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, my, uh, well, I guess my website. Yeah. Okay. Where, I don't know, where do people find you these days? I don't know. Instagram, Twitter, yeah. your website. Yeah, all the things. I'm on all the things. It's my name. I, I don't, I'm not a big Instagrammer. I mean to be, but I'm just not. Um, well, but, but this yeah. yarn situation, you're going to have to be. Well, it's confusing because like, then what is my Instagram identity? Like, should I be talking about teenagers and sex? Should I be talking about yarn? Well, other people who are on there because of the sex, they're like, what's with the yarn? Um, it's very. No, you need to start. You need to start a separate account just for the yarn. I yes. guess I do. Yeah. Just for the yarn book. Just for the yarn book. Yes. That's a really good idea. Peggy, Peggy, thank you so much for coming on. You were just fantastic. This was super fun. Yeah, thank you. It was really nice to meet you. Okay, before we go today, we wanted to read some more reviews and do the dorky thing we've been doing. Read some more of your very nice reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for leaving them. We've really liked getting them. And 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 if you haven't written one yet and you're just listening to this for the first time, every five-star review we get, we will be reading on the air. So yes. if that is appealing to you, if that is appealing to you, then please go on to Apple podcasts, go to everything is fine. You just have to scroll down. It's pretty easy to write a review, but yeah, let's get into these. Um, okay. I have one from Cants. I think. Yeah. Cants. I need this show. Funny, thoughtful, original banter between two lady friends over 45. Yes, I am up for it. Good edge and honestly about all topics discussed from racism to chin hairs. Captivating interviews as well. Love it. Thank you, Cants. Honest, thoughtful, fun, says Shoes Ease 206. A light but deep and human exploration of what it feels like to be over 40 at this particular moment. Yay. All right. Essential listening, says Java Chick 2016. I've been listening to this podcast since its inception. Thank you. And it's now part of my weekly routine. I like that they're blunt about aging and staying relevant and never sound formal or scripted. No, we do not. It's like talking to your best girlfriends. They have a variety of guests, some of whom are more interesting than others and are good at asking unpredictable questions. They usually have fun, thoughtful conversations that I'm always sad to have end. For their Patreon supporters, they have special live virtual events. We need to put a date on the calendar for this month. We will be doing it this month, as well as as bonus podcasts definitely worth it thank you these two this podcast is like a long dinner at your favorite spot with your two best friends please keep the episodes coming i love that and i love how many times they bring up that it feels like they're talking to their friends how many t- times you guys bring it up it's really yes. nice i love that too i love that too because we feel like we are having such an intimate friendship conversation it's glad i'm glad that it transfers over cool girlfriend says Die Pie 9. I love, love, love this podcast. Everything is fine is something I stumbled upon. I'm an OG listener and love the honesty, truth, rawness, and frankly, even hearing there what I'm watching now about other podcasts, what I'm listening to, Rex. But my fave is when they just talk. Everything is fine is what we say to our girlfriends all the time. It's fine. It's fine. With EIF podcast, we get to be really honest. Bravo. Thank you. Okay, do you want to read the last one? Because it's my favorite. It's <laughs> um, if you if it's your favorite, I think you should get to read it. Okay. This is my favorite review because I just think it's so hilarious. They are trying hard, so I gave five stars, says Chico Chaco Chaka. I listened to four episodes and did not enjoy, although the ladies seem to work really hard on this. I am a woman of color from Florida who works at a medical office, and I cannot relate to any of the subject matters covered. I don't know, but something sounded insincere. Maybe this is not for me. Thank you for writing a five-star review. None of us can be for everybody, but I appreciate you trying for four whole episodes. That was really a commitment that I applaud. Yes, I appreciate it. 
Anyway, listeners, thank you so much for leaving these. We're going to keep reading them every week. It means a lot to us. And we love having the engagement with all of you. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We're your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, just like we discussed, please leave a review. It helps people find the show. If you want to support this production of the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com backslash everything is fine. We're on Instagram at EIF podcast. If you want to email us, you can email us as everything is fine. The podcast at gmail.com. You can find Kim on her blog, girls of a certain age.com. And you can find me at tinyletter.com backslash Jennifer Romolini. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.